Mark Andreas was born into NLP royalty. As the son of Connie Ray and Steve Andreas, he has literally been involved with NLP all of his life. Now he is continuing the family business by conducting trainings, writing books, and doing private coaching sessions. He'll share some great insights into coaching and even do a brief demo of metaphors of movement. It's all right now on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. So I am joined today with Mark Andreas coming all the way from sunny Colorado. How are things? Doing great. Doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me, Doug. How's your mom? She's doing great as well. Cool. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, we've joked about this before, but I mean, it, it always has seemed like it must have been interesting to be Mark Andreas, to, to be, you know, it probably wasn't bad as like B.F. Skinner's kids who he put, I think, into a Skinner box or something like that. But, you know, I always think, wow, you must have been being anchored from the day you were born, you know, with Connie Ray Andreas and Steve Andreas as your parents. Yeah, yeah, it was, I, I feel very um, fortunate to have grown up with them and and they very much utilized their NLP tools and hypnosis tools and communication tools with me and my two brothers so yeah. it was it was um it was very much a supportive family for the most part you know everyone has their learning edges but um one one kind of funny story um with uh so my mother actually produced a um parenting product before she had completed parenting us so you know if we had all turned out horrible then she, you know i don't know they would have had to pull the product or something but and i guess that's still up for for debate perhaps but um <laughs> one of the one of the things she she found really useful in parenting us and i'm now finding really useful with my one and a half year old son at just beginning to because language he's just starting to to uh, develop like more than three word phrases, uh, which is exciting, um, is presuppositional language patterns, um, which I know is something that you uh, spend a lot of time with. Um, but one of the ones that she found really useful, so just to give an example would be to, to give choices. So, so would you like to put on your shoes or would you like me to put on your shoes? <laughs> no, uh, I want to. You know, yeah, exactly. And, you know, so, um, you know, giving those two choices that are both going to get the outcome that she's going for, but allows a, a level of choice that's appropriate for, for the, for the age. Um, so she was doing that with us. And then at one point they were laughing because they overheard me talking with my younger brother, Lauren, I wanted to go, uh, I wanted to play with him basically. And so I said, Lauren, do you want, and then I stopped and I said, <laughs> Lauren, which do you want to do? Do you want to play blocks or do you want to play with the train? <laughs> <laughs> and you were how old at that time? They were quietly laughing. Uh, I don't remember how old. I think it was fairly young. I don't remember. I don't remember that time uh, myself. Is, but they t they tell the story. Funny. 
That is very funny. Very funny. I remember a story about Milton Erickson saying that there was once a young psychologist who, after graduating and getting his degree, wrote a book called the the Ten Commandments of uh, Child Rearing, and he mm-hmm. lectured, went all over the country lecturing about his his book. And then he got married and had a child of his own, and pretty soon changed the name of his lecture to the Ten cardinal suggestions for <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and nice. long story short after the third kid he just quit entirely just stopped stopped lecturing <laughs> after the third kid so yes um <laughs> great so uh, there's so much i want to talk about yeah i mean golly there's just so much just to keep myself on track this is the essential coaching skills podcast so i'm going to try to restrict myself to topics regarding coaching, et cetera. Um, and within the field of coaching, within the, the um, activity of coaching, I have found stories to be extremely useful. And yeah. I know that you are great at that. And you've written a book, right? These sweet fruit from the bitter tree. Is that the way it goes? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your use of storytelling? Tell us a little bit about that book, what that means, the sweet fruit from the bitter tree, and, and like how, how do you use stories in your coaching? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I've always, I think like you, just been, from a very early age, actually, I would, you know, before I could even, I think when I was three or four, I would, I would come up with stories and have my parents write them down for me. Oh, cool. Um, and... I, many people don't know that I have a a side hobby. I've written two, two fantasy, well, one science fiction and one fantasy novel uh, that are unpublished. Um, So I've always been just, I've always loved growing up stories. I went to a Waldorf school, which is very um, story oriented. They do a Mm -hmm. lot of their teaching through stories. Oh, I didn't know that. and yeah, and I just feel so grateful to have to have been through that kind of education because I remember just going to school every day, just being like so excited to hear like what what is the next story I'm going to learn about India or Asia or you know these ancient times or whatever it was that whatever the topic was. Hmm. And uh, you know, I don't think a lot of students have that where they're like excited about hearing what are they going to what's the world they're going to be like enter into, uh, you know, today as they're like walking up to school with their school box. Yeah. I can't, I can't say that I had that experience walking. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel very fortunate. And, um, and uh, yeah. So then as you mentioned, sweet fruit from the bitter tree is a collection of true stories of conflicts that people found creative outside the box solutions to. And so I was inspired to, collect those after hearing some like I studied peace and global studies in college and heard some stories through that and and elsewhere that were just these really surprising examples of how people in in the midst of a conflict that seemed to be intractable like okay there's there's no way at this point something bad's going to happen right and then some somehow they 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 do something to change the paradigm and a totally different outcome is possible. And so I was just really inspired by hearing a few of these stories and I didn't know of any book out there that uh, focused on this. And um, 
you know, there's a lot in the news about when things go wrong. <laughs> um, but I, but I knew there were a lot more stories out there like this about when things could have so easily gone wrong and yet went in a totally different direction. Um, if I remember correctly, there's one with our friend, Michael Perez from England. Yeah. Was he in Scotland at the time? Yeah, he was in Glasgow. And yeah, it's, it's a, one of my favorites of the shorter, shorter ones in the book. It, it, there's a range of, of length of story too. Um, but yeah, it's a wonderful story where he was uh, just finishing up some, probably a NLP training of some sort. And he was, um, he didn't live in Glasgow. So he's making his way back to his hotel and he went a block or two, too far in the wrong direction the you know it started it was not very well lit there was a construction site he was kind of walking through and pretty soon he finds himself there's nobody else around but these six teen teenage kind of delinquent looking teens um kind of sidle up to him and one of them's holding a knife casually in his hand and says i'll have your wallet and in that in that split second moment Michael, just something about that moment, he was inspired to misinterpret the, the, the kid. And he, he goes, you have my wallet? That's incredible. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know where it was. I was looking everywhere. I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm so glad you, where did you find it? And, and, uh, you know, he's just so just barraging him with like overjoyed, like enthusiasm. And the kid's like, like backing up a little bit and he's like uh he's like sort of stuttering he's like i don't have your wallet and then michael goes you don't have my wallet then why did you tell me you have my wallet oh no what am i gonna do uh like ah like i thought i thought you had it solved for me oh i don't know how i'm gonna pay for my plane flight home or my hotel blah 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 and uh the kid goes well did you lose it around here and michael, <laughs> michael goes yeah you know i don't know where it is and and uh, so they offered to help him look. So they all got on their hands and knees and they were searching the nooks and crannies of this area. And finally, Michael said, well, I guess it's, it's no use. And he shook each of their hands and thanked them for being so kind <laughs> citizens and, and helping him look. <laughs> so uh, just Here, a let me give you a tip. I mean, just pull it all. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. But what a, what a creative response. Oh, that's uh, great. And so each story in there is a totally different scenario, a totally different, you know, solution. Um, and so let me ask you this. So why did you write it? I mean, what, what are you hoping to, in a sense, teach? Like the Waldorf? Yeah, that's a great story question. Um, there's a short section at the very end where I give sort of my conclusions or, or what I sort of learned from, from gathering this whole, whole collection. But um, Mostly it's just a collection of the stories themselves. Um, and I was just hoping to show more possibilities, more creative problem solving. And, and, and yeah, I've always been fascinated by um, how we can find creative solutions to, to meet, meet our you know, everyday conflicts and problems that we uh, come into. So, um, I think that's something that everybody wants more of. And, and so I thought it was a wonderful combination of, first of all, such entertaining stories that anyone's gonna, gonna enjoy them. I think just about anyone would just enjoy them for the stories themselves. 
Um, and at the same time, a lot of value that can be learned. Uh, a lot of readers describe how after reading the, the book or reading a story every night or every week, they have a kind of a, a new sense of possibility themselves that just kind of seeks, seeps into their subconscious, into their um, way of being that they find themselves finding more creative solutions to, to the problems that come up into their lives, um, even if they have no, no relationship whatsoever uh, on the surface, on the content uh, to any of the stories in that book. Um, so I certainly have clients that um, I suggest this as a, as a wonderful way to just bring in creativity in a, in a really nice and easy way to open up possibility and creativity. And I think um, that uh, it's just one example of how uh, powerful a story can be to, oh, yeah. to bring about change through uh, through really through through experience you know a well told story it, it gives us that experience even though we didn't live it ourselves yeah yeah that's so for sure and I think that is really the, the wonderful thing about stories is it really does do that it gives us I guess experience is the best teacher you know if we live through something and we experience it, do it ourselves when it's a best teacher second best I guess would be stories yeah you know, where you vicariously live it you know so, yeah. yeah and also what's good about stories of course is if you're the storyteller you can kind of you know guide the learning of the listener you know you can say and then the character realized that you should do this and so you give a you know a moral to the story if you will that if um, the listener will take take on that lesson as opposed to raw experience where you can sort of pull your own conclusions and maybe you learn good things and maybe you don't. With stories, you uh, yeah, almost yeah. always learn good things. Yeah, and I think if the if the story is set up in the right way, the ideal is to have that moral just so clear from the experience. Right, from the experience. You don't even need to mark it out. Right, right. Um, to have, uh, which is a really interesting um, thing. You know, it's kind of amazing how many ways there are to tell the truth. That was something that was interesting that I was, you know, because a lot of these stories, I was interviewing people and then writing them up myself. And I wanted to keep as close as possible to, um, you know, using their words, their phrasing, their way of describing it. Uh, but even when you're sticking to exactly what happened, all of the different ways of, okay, how, where do I start? Where do I end? What do I, what do I focus on? Like, how do I keep yeah. the thread through? It was, was, was an interesting process. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think also like in terms of bringing it back to how this relates to coaching, when you have these kinds of stories, um, you know, you never know what story might pop into your uh, brain as, as you're coaching somebody that just happens to match something they're going through. And when you're in a coaching relationship, you can then choose what you emphasize or what you leave out, depending on what's going to be the tidbit that's really particularly relevant to the person that you're coaching. So I think that also uh, go, gets to, to that point where you have a lot of power in, in what, um, what part of the, the story you really emphasize or what, what, is the, what are the learnings that are going to be more important perhaps to the person you're working with. Mm -hmm. And how does one do that? How, if, 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 if we weren't safe 
as an example, raised in a Waldorf school where we got taught by stories every day in various different subjects. Um, if we just had a kind of normal, <laughs> just hypothetically speaking, if, if we just had a sort of normal upbringing, where would we get uh, this repository of stories that I'm assuming you have from your very rich uh, story-filled history? Where does, how does one become yeah. a storyteller? Well, a lot of the story, I think the, the first place is your own life. Like most of the stories that I tell in client sessions are not actually from this book. Mm -hmm. I, I find the, the, that book is more of a, a great way for clients to on their own time, just like dive in and experience the, all these examples of creativity and problem solving. Um, it's not often that, that uh, or I, I'm not even sure if ever I've like particularly thought, oh, that story relates more specifically to a, to a client's problem. Uh, Cause those stories are so kind of unusual and, and the solutions are so outside of the box that um, it's not, which is what makes them wonderful, but it's also, uh, you know, not every day that you you're working with a client who needs to know how to deal with six teenagers that like sidle up to you with a knife, for example. All right, all right. Um, where so most of the stories that I actually use in, in client sessions are stories from my own life experience that just come in pop into my experience and then I have to take a moment to notice is this actually going to be useful to my client or is it just some interesting association that I have that's right. not really you know going to be relevant to them but um, if it does seem relevant then um, sharing a little bit from my own life experience can be a great way to build rapport and 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 have a have a nice relationship um it also you know models that i'm not just this sort of blank void you know i'm also a human being and have life experiences and i'm fine sharing those um do you when you do that when you tell a story in coaching do you kind of get into like an ericksonian kind of mode and go like well that reminds me of a story long time ago when I was a boy. I mean, do you, do you sort of get into a storytelling mode or do you just go like, well, you know, that's like what I was doing last week on Thursday when I went to the grocery store. I mean, how, how do you tell your stories? It's uh, for me, it's more conversational. So um, I, um, in my client, in my coaching, I don't tend to use uh, like deep formal trance. Mm -hmm. um, it's more conversational and language patterns and, um, you know, in the different processes that I use, then people certainly often go very deep and, and that is trance, but it, I don't, you know, formally say, okay, now we're doing an induction. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's more conversational uh, the way that I, the way that I do it. Cool. Well, if, if anything pops up, you know, in your mind and you want to demonstrate that you could certainly feel free to do that. Um, you know, if you have any stories that, you know, would be relevant and would pop up at any moment. Feel free to. Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. I think one other thing that's, that's really useful. So there's telling stories from your own life experience and then also telling metaphors that may not be like a direct experience from your life, but, um, but that everyone can relate to and learn something from. So um, like, for example, and just having some of these mini metaphors for um, common concepts that you want to communicate are, are really useful. So for example, like the, 
um, the idea of positive intent is a, is a very useful, um, it's a kind of underlies most of, most of NLP processes and a lot in hypnotherapy and, and other ways of working. And so this idea that every feeling, every behavior, every thought we have is motivated by some, something positive, wants to achieve something positive for us. Um, so when I was first coaching, I used to try to explain that and I realized I was talking for a long time and then the person looked a little bit confused at the end. Uh, so then I realized, okay, I need to come up with some just really succinct metaphor uh, like this. And um, this is actually, and there's, there's different ones uh, that you can use, but one that I often use, particularly with people who are experiencing some kind of fear, anxiety, some really negative emotion that they're they're maybe coming in the door going, there's no way this could be useful. I need to just get rid of this. Um, and they're not noticing, not acknowledging that there's some positive purpose within that um, is to say, you know, so often these emotions we have, it's kind of like uh, a fire alarm where uh, the fire alarm is actually just going off all of the time. And so of course that's not gonna be useful. Imagine living in a house with a fire alarm going off all the time. Nobody wants that. That's not going to be keeping us very, very safe. Um, no way to know when the fire is actually happening when it's not happening. But we also don't want to just throw the fire alarm out the window. Um, you know, that would probably be slightly better than <laughs> having it going off all of the time. But then we wouldn't actually know if there's a fire. So what we want to do is have that fire alarm tuned so that it only goes off when there's actually a fire. So you tell that story everyone understands that immediately it's yeah. just very clear oh yeah okay so often these emotions they're kind of like that fire alarm that um it's just been going off all the time and so we want to find out a way to uh assist you in having this go off when there's really something to pay attention to that's beautiful yeah you know in the sleight of mouth that i teach that i of course learned from robert ultimately um I have noticed that of all the all the patterns of fourteen different patterns to choose from, the one that's often seems to be almost foolproof and uh, gets it every time is the metaphor pattern, mm. the analogy pattern. Yeah. If you can come up with a good story that illustrates your point of view or why that other belief is not valid um, in a, in the circumstance we're talking about, um, if you can come up with a good story that illustrates that, it's almost always going to work. And the person yeah. like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, it's there. It's powerful stuff, and um, I mean, yeah, I like to think about how before we had written words, how did we communicate? I mean, there were there was like many many years of history where a lot of information and technologies was all passed on, a lot of knowledge, um, like in depth knowledge about you know medicine and, and, and uh, you know, all, all sorts of things was passed on through storytelling. That was, that was the, the one medium to do it. Yeah. And there's uh, a reason that, that it was passed on that way and <laughs> not some other way. Right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you this. When you do coaching, you know, the idea of coaching, is it, um, is it a, a telephone coaching? I mean, I guess it is these days with, the COVID restrictions, et cetera, probably mostly Zoom or telephone. Yeah. But, um, I, I've, I've noticed that sometimes people just use the word 
coaching when they just maybe in a, a generation ago would have used the word therapy, you know, mm-hmm. do a session of, of therapy or NLP. Like when I first learned NLP back in the eighties, when you were probably just a kid, um, we were, I was doing NLP therapies. That's what it yeah. was called. And yeah. uh, now it's NLP coaching. Um, yeah. When you, when you talk about coaching, what, what do you mean by that? What, what is coaching to you? Yeah. So it's a great question. And um, so for me, coaching is the optimal word to choose both legally and also practically. So there's the legal side of things, which is that, you know, now in, in most states, um, the word therapy is, has certain legal ramifications. You have to have certain training counts and other training doesn't count. And um, so you want to be, if you're starting out as a coach um, or whatever you call yourself, uh, be sure that whatever words you're using, that you're, you're not going to get in trouble legally for it. Um, so coaching is something that uh, at this point, as far as I'm aware in Colorado, and the laws are different, different places, um, you just need coach specific training and then you can be a coach. It's not, a, it's not regulated like psychotherapy. Um, so, um, so there's the legal reason why I initially became a coach or, or put myself out there as a coach, as opposed mm-hmm. to a therapist. Um, and, but then I also realized that because I could have gone the psychotherapist route and in Colorado, uh, up until recently, you could actually register as an unlicensed psychotherapist if you took a certain test uh, around um, understanding the laws. Um, then you didn't actually need, which is which is unusual. Most states, you actually need specific uh, therapy training. Yeah. Um, now they're closing in on that now uh, too. Um, so the so uh, so, but coaching, I. Uh, I prefer that the presuppositions of coaching because it implies an equal relationship, whereas the the therapeutic model often it's uh, you know somebody seeking out a therapist to maybe diagnose them, maybe um, treat them. Uh, therapists have patients, so a lot of the that model was was kind of set up along the lines of a medical model, which is you know a patient comes and. The doctor is the authority. The doctor says what to do. The doctor gives a pill. The patient's a pretty passive recipient of, 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 the, of the treatment and not really an engaged participant. And there's an unequal level. Yeah. Um, so um, the coaching is, is totally different. It's a, you're on an equal level. I'm the coach. You're the person coming to me, but we're working together. And, you know, the person I'm working with has just as much responsibility for, for their outcomes and their goals as I do. We're a team working together, equal level. And so, you know, they're responsible for, for their experience. You know, it's not, it's not that I'm an authority and then I'm legally bound by, you know, if I give the wrong medication that causes some, something to happen, you know, that I'm there as a coach. I offer my suggestions, my uh, tools, my uh, resources, and then they're free to take and utilize what they uh, want and what makes sense to them and um, and kind of equal responsibility for for the outcome outcome. So I, I like that because it engages from the very beginning the active participation of, of the people that I'm working with, which is really important. Yeah, no, that's great. Love that. That's really, really clear. Thank you. Yeah, really good. 
So NLP, obviously, uh, you started there. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, Andreas.com, that's your website? AndreasNLP.com okay. is the trainings uh, website. Okay. So that's where, where to go for all of our um, video and live online trainings. And okay. one day, hopefully again in person. <laughs> right. Um, and mostly you're doing core transformation, is that correct? Yeah. So this year, well, we do more than that. But this year, I've, it's been a huge core transformation focus. Um, uh, and so core transformation developed by my mother, Connie Ray, um, who's also developed the wholeness work, which is another main training that, that we do. And um, metaphors of movement is kind of the third main one that, that we do. Those are the big three that we currently offer. And um, so for Core Transformation, why it's been such a big year this year is that my aunt Tamara and I, um, who she co-wrote the book with my mother, Connie Ray. So um, she de designed the initial three-day training that you know we've been teaching for many, many years, mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years. Um, so for the first time this year, Tamara and I co-designed a advanced core transformation training. And then for people who want to go on even more in depth, a whole coach, core transformation coach certification training. So we're actually certifying people in their ability to um, be a core transformation coach. Okay, well, um, be a just, core transformation coach. Yeah, so wow. it's a specific uh, certification. So if you're, you're out there wanting to be a coach and, and just beginning and, and wanting to get coach-specific training, uh, what we offer is gives that coach-specific training. Well, let's, let me just stop you because I'm not sure everybody knows what you're talking about when it comes to core transformation. I'm sure many yeah. people do, and your mom was actually a guest earlier in an earlier episode of this podcast. Sure. Um, but could you just describe what the heck is core transformation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a process by which our limitations become doorways to profound states of being that we refer to as core states that then transform the initial limitation. So that's in a nutshell. I'm sorry, um, I, was, I, was, I was in the middle of asking a question. I should have just kept listening. Oh, that's, um, I can say it again. It's probably worth saying again. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's a process by which our limitations, so any feeling, behavior, thought that's not going, not serving us, that limitation itself becomes the doorway to a profound core state um, such as oneness, joy, um, beingness, wholeness. Uh, those are examples of core states that then transforms the initial limitation. So it's a process that goes to a very deep level. A lot of, like most, basically, I think probably all traditional NLP tools, um, which are fabulous tools, change tools, uh, but they don't go to that level of, of core experience, the, the core transformation process goes, which is a, a really profound resource because there's something unique about these core states. Um, and like, basically, if we go back to the, what we were talking about with positive intent, you know, each part of us, it has the initial positive intent, but then there are deeper and deeper purposes. So if we follow that through the core transformation process, eventually we get to some a state of being where there's nothing deeper so it's like this is what this part wants at the deepest possible level and this is what we 
referred to as a core state, and it's different from, from other positive outcomes in that it's possible to, that it's, a core state is not dependent on something going a particular way or not. So a positive outcome might be to keep myself safe. Okay, that's a great, really positive outcome. But I'm not always able to do that. Um, in, in a real world, keeping myself safe is dependent on certain things going a certain way. And I don't always have control over all of the variables. So, um, so it's, some of that may be in my control, but others is not. So, if, but if we keep going farther, okay, through safety, what's wanted that's even more important? Maybe the answer is um, I can just relax and, and be. And, and if you keep going deep enough, eventually you'll get to a state of being that is actually possible to step into an experience regardless of whether uh, things are going a particular way or not in life. So it's a, a profoundly uh, deep resource for this reason. Uh, and we can be guaranteed that there's always going to, it's always going to be there. Right. Yeah. I've, I've, I love the process. Um, I got the book, I don't know how many years ago and I've dabbled with it over the years. I've got, I've delved into it deeply occasionally. And, and every time I do, it's like, wow, I need to spend more time with this. It's so, it, it is profound because it's, it's like you keep peeling the onion of things until you get down to that, you know, sort of central core, the core state. Yeah. That, um, can be different at different times, but boy, yeah, it, when you get to a core state, it is, there's, you, there's nothing left of the onion. You've gotten to that core. It's the, it's the core. And then from there, you kind of build back up again and, and transform based on that core state. I mean, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, so simply, but. it kind of reverses the paradigm instead of thinking, okay, I need to get and achieve and do all of these different steps. And only then can I experience. Right peace for example it's like well what would happen if i just experience peace now yeah and then how does that transform those other areas maybe i still do want to do those things or achieve those things or maybe they're not important um and so it's another wonderful thing about it and why it's been one of my go-to methods for the last decade um if not longer now probably longer um is that as the coach i don't need to be super smart and figure out what the answer is for somebody uh, because when they have access to this core state they get to just find out oh okay so when i already have peace how does this naturally enrich and resource and transform radiate through this whole area of safety and often when you're actually guiding someone through the process as in the experience of it rather than you know just talking about it as we are right now um, often they'll say things like, oh, wow, it's, it's like e both easier to keep myself safe and also less necessary. Hmm. Or things like that, where there's kind of this dual, like, oh, it makes it easier for me to do what I can do and also easier to accept and, you know, be okay with the things that I can't control or can't right. do. Right. Yeah. Very cool. And another thing that I've really enjoyed about your work recently is um, you and I participated in an online thing this past September, and you were teaching Andy Austin's work, The um, yeah. Metaphors of Movement. Yeah. And uh, you're one of the few, I think, certified trainers for that work. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, there's a handful of us. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's a totally 
enjoyable at least for me it's like so fun such a fun process and also like profound uh, in, in a totally different way in a very metaphorical way mm. uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm constantly amazed when I'm if I'm working with a client using metaphors of movement just amazed at the the kind of it feels like deep truths about life just sort of like emerge from the process it's it's really amazing and it's also just a whole lot of fun because because uh, metaphor and storytelling is is so much fun yeah um, but yeah it's a it's a wonderful addition to the standard kind of metaphorical um, stories you were talking about or we were talking about earlier where you might create a story to match somebody's experience and lead them to a resource or you might share a real story that relates uh, to them in some useful way um, this process elicits our unconscious metaphors for our problems mm -hmm. and then finds out and, and uh, gains insight based on on that so if somebody says oh i'm banging my head against a brick wall oh really so tell me how thick is it how wide is it um you know what what's your left it? what's your right what's behind you know eliciting the metaphorical landscape of the stuck state um and then when you combine the insights from that along with the storytelling it's it's really powerful because that's what andy ultimately does and and myself in a session is is then weaves the two together so starting with the metaphorical story or the metaphorical experience of the stuck state and then also weaving in these analogies and metaphors that relate to the the structure within that and right and one of the things that's fascinating about it is that based on the metaphorical landscape you elicit uh you can reflect things back to the person that they 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 start to feel like you're reading their mind like how could you possibly know this about me right even if all they've shared about their experience is the metaphor, they might not have told you how it relates to real life in any way. So let um, me just, let me just stop you there for a second. When you did the, yeah. the uh, training in September that I watched on the, on the yeah. Zoom call thing that we were doing, you were drawing the, drawing a representation of their stuck state on a whiteboard. Yeah. Is that always part of the process? Um, it can't, it's um, as I do it, I don't always do that, but as Andy, Andy says, yes, that's always part of the process. So, um, and it's a way of, of reflecting back to, to the person you're working with that you've actually got it right. Um, for myself, sometimes I do that. And sometimes I, I feel pretty clear that I understand what the metaphor is and, I, and we're on the same page. So sometimes I skip it. Okay. Let me just, if you, can we just sort of, pretend to do one now so yeah i'm yes i'm totally stuck and and uh <laughs> making something up here um <laughs> let me see I, well well let's not how about choose a choose a real thing i'm trying to and, think of a real thing and and it doesn't necessarily have to be where you're stuck but it could just be you know some 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 feeling where you're maybe at an impasse of some sort or or um some challenge. Okay. Well, um, I don't know if this will work or not, but you can, you can tell me if it will or, or not. Um, since COVID started, uh, my wife and I have moved up to this little cabin, if you will, it's a little house in upstate New York. Actually, I'm curious if you might want to um, not tell me anything about the situation. Okay. And just, um, 
I think for the listeners, that'll be more interesting uh, to hear how you can elicit these metaphors, even if I know nothing about it. Does, would that make sense? Sure. I'm not sure where you were going, but. I'm not, I'm not sure how to tell you what I want to tell you with that. So, so if I were just to ask you, so the, the, the whole situation. Yeah. What is it like? What's it like? <sighs> it's like. I, I know what I need to do. I just don't want to do it. Okay. Yeah. So that whole, that whole thing, what's it actually like? Um, um, and for the listeners, by the way, this is like usually how it goes in the beginning is, is kind of like, what do you mean? What is it like? Like, what, what, are, what are you going for? What are you, what, what are you asking for here? Um, you know, sometimes people just come straight out with a, a metaphor, but more often it takes a little time to go, oh, hmm, what, what is it like? What's it like? So occasionally I'll share a couple examples of, you know, you know, one person came in and they said, oh, it's like I'm in the pit of despair. Or it's like I'm banging my head against a brick wall. Or it's like I'm walking through quicksand. Um, so for you, this whole situation, what's it like? Well, it's just like a, a, the, the, the path ahead is clear that it's the only, in a sense, the only way to go, but I still don't want to go. Okay. So what kind of a path is it? What's that, what's that like? It's like a, a, uh, I don't know, path through the woods, like a, um, you know, dirt path through the woods. Okay. Yeah. So then kind of of rocky and hilly. So it's an ascending path. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. So then, you know, in the, if we were doing a full process, we could elicit more like what's to the left, to the right, behind, but let's just play with just what we have so far. And, and I'll just show um, for the listeners how you can then reflect back these idioms that match the metaphor. Um, and then you can share kind of what your experience is of it. So, so um, you, what you look forward to is a bit of a rocky path. Um, and there, you know, this, there is a path to follow here. Um, so even though um, you're a bit in the wilderness, this is, uh, others have gone before you. Uh, you're not the first to, to go this way. Um, so there is a path laid out, but it's not a particular path that you want to follow. It's, it's kind of rocky. There's ups and downs. Um, and at times you may feel a bit in the woods and um, that's about what I have so far. <laughs> so, so you can begin. So what was your experience of, of just when I was reflecting back those idioms about, about the experience? Well, that- I thought that was really actually quite moving when you said that um, the fact that there is a path means that other people have gone there before me. Mm. And it's, um, there is a path that you can follow. Mm-hmm. And it does lead somewhere. Yeah, it's it's like oh, well then maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> okay, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the, so that's kind of a and of course when you elicit the whole landscape, you know we haven't asked what's what's your left, what's the right, what's behind, um, but there can be and there's by the way that was just like a a, 
a tip, the tip of the iceberg in terms of what idioms will relate to this experience. Um, but yeah, it can start connecting people to, to their experience in, in, in different ways than perhaps they, they did before. Um, and, and sometimes it may lead to like, oh, okay, maybe it's not that bad after all. Maybe this is a path I want to follow. Other times it might lead to, wow, you know what? I think I want to turn myself around or, or go in a different direction or, or go off or, or forge my own path, you know? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is a place, it sounds like, where um, there would be the option to uh, forge your own path, but it would probably be even slower going and, and there'd be um, less of a guarantee about where you might end up, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, one, oh, another one is you're, you're clearly an outsider here. Mm. Uh, so, um, mm. so you're an outsider, although you are following a path that others have, have followed before you. Oh, that's cute. I mean, it's, it's curious. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. Because I remember when you do, were doing the thing, you were drawing the different pictures. I remember some of the pictures that you were drawing. I don't remember exactly what they were saying, but, but it was so interesting that when you, you know, reviewed the drawing, little just stick figures that you're drawing on this whiteboard for people, people were going like, yeah, that's yeah. That, that, yes. You know, they're really yeah. seeing it differently um, because of your, your illustration for it. And then they were able to make different connections with your, you know, associative abilities that you did. It was so great. Yeah, yeah. Neat. Thanks. Well, it's 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 probably the 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 most in, the most fun I have teaching is is teaching the metaphor because it's just hmm. constantly it's just so rich and and it's different every time what emerges. And at the same time, once you when you learn it, there are these, um, uh, you know, kind of themes that keep showing up across metaphors and these common idioms that relate to people's experience. Nice. So um, what's next for you, Mark Andreas? What's next? Well, um, I think this, this next year is going to be a year of basically fine tuning and, and, um, and uh, just honing what we've, what we've built this last year with, with creating two completely new programs. Um, uh, so, so what I'm really looking forward to, you know, in addition, in addition to continuing to teach metaphors, um, which I do each year is um, continuing to build and, and outreach the, the core transformation work. And, um, you know, as far as essential coaching skills, basically our inspiration in creating the Core Transformation Coach Certification is that we, we asked ourselves, if we taught people one method or one process, um, if we could choose just one for somebody to be a really highly effective coach, um, if they only knew that one process, um, this was the one that, that we chose. And so that was our inspiration in in uh, building it around around the core transformation, and then of course, you know, many people in our course are trained in all sorts of stuff. Um, but we were inspired to to teach it because even if that's the only thing you have, like if you're just starting out, um, 
and that's all you have. You can have a highly successful coaching practice um, and work with whatever people come in the door with uh, using this process. Wow. So, um, so thank you for asking the question for me, but that's a great oh. answer. <laughs> great. What was the question? <laughs> oh, that, that was the question. I meant to ask the question. Like, what, what do you consider to be essential coaching skills? And that's, that's the answer right there. So with that, with one not easy, relatively thick and complex skill set, but nevertheless, the skill set of core transformation, that one skill set alone, you, a person could be a very successful coach doing that and have great outcomes for their clients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we envision that there will be people who are just core transformation coaches, that that's their training and that's what they do. Um, and they don't do anything else. And, and then, of course, people who have that as one of their main tools. So either one, uh, we think, is a really, really good way to go. And what's the other one? Oh, I just meant, you know, having uh -huh. core transformation be one of their tools in their toolbox that they use uh, as a coach. What's, what's the other trainings that you're, you're doing? Oh, the other trainings that we offer are, um, so in addition to the metaphors of movement is the wholeness work, with, wholeness which work. is my mother's other development, which is, in a sense, um, a whole other way of exploring this realm of, of, um, of, of core states, um, you could say. Um, so it was based on what she imagined um, some spiritual teachers were experiencing when they um, had their experiences of what you might call enlightenment. And then her going, asking the question, okay, is it possible that this is actually teachable in a step-by-step -step process, which most spiritual teachers say you can't, there are no steps. Um, but she, she thought, you know what, I think we just haven't found them yet. And there actually are uh, reliable steps to, towards those kinds of experiences. So those are the three that we teach um, through NJS NLP trainings. Um, the, the three that we teach live uh, online and in person, hopefully soon. Again, then there's more on there, like my father's self-concept work, uh, video training, there's other PTSD video trainings and, and, um, and lots of other NLP materials. Um, but those are the three currently that we're focusing on teaching live online. That's beautiful. You know, I, I've often thought that, you know, the Andreas family, starting with your dad and with Ramon, but, you know, you continuing the legacy have just contributed so much to the world, but certainly to the world of NLP. And um, it's just, I don't, I don't want to say you're unsung heroes, but, you know, I think there's a lot of credit needs to go to, you know, your dad and to your mom, especially for um, creating so much work, all these books that wouldn't exist. I mean, even Bounder and Grinder's books, many of them wouldn't exist without your parents, you know, editing them and publishing them and putting them out. Um, yeah. It's just such an amazing contribution that you as a family have done and as you are continuing to do. It's brilliant, brilliant work. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing to me what all what all my parents <laughs> managed. Yeah. yeah, and it and it feels exciting um, now. I, in in a lot of ways, this last year has been kind of yeah, bringing that bringing it forward in the next the next phase. Some one yeah. thing I'm really excited about is our research that we're doing on the core transformation process as well. Oh, okay. so, what, what kind of yeah. research? 
So um, Dinesh Braganza, who um, he's, so there's one published uh, peer reviewed journal uh, um, that he, he did this as his PhD thesis um, entirely himself. So he guided 150 people roughly through core transformation and um, showed really, he did a delayed treatment control group. So everyone got treated, but the control group got treated delayed so that you could see the difference. Um, and there was a real significant shift in the, when, when comparing the control group with the treatment group. And that was just after one session of core transformation. So um, there were a lot of um, measures that, that would, could have been diagnosable that, that weren't later. And just a lot of um, impressive change showed after that one session. So now um, we're working, I'm just really thankful to, to him for volunteering to work with us on doing further research in conjunction with these, with the coach certification training. So uh, as part of the training, uh, we have this, this um, great model where people, it's kind of like a, a three tiers of experience. So they, they practice with their peers in the uh, training, then they practice with friends and family, and then they practice with wider community, people from the wider community that we connect them with, uh, that they don't have any prior uh, experience with core transformation. And um, so it's a great way to teach the skills, but we've also been having the friends and family category and the wider community category filling out these same um, uh, surveys before and after that are based on these um, uh, psychological measures that have been, uh, what's it called, validated. So, so the, way, the way that they've, the way that you ask the the way that they're set up, they've been validated that it actually gets you some useful information. <laughs> um, so we're using those validated psychological measures. We're also using one measure of our own that we think will get to some things that those validated measures don't get to. Um, and we're in the process of um, attempting to validate our measures, which is an interesting thing in itself. Um, but as, so this program we just went through, we had about 28 people and we had 28 people in the coach certification so all told each person guided um, 10 people through the process who had not experienced it previously and those people if they all do all of the surveys will will be part of the research there's always some dropout rate but um, so basically we're looking at more than 250 um, uh, people going through this process and, and with two sessions now rather than one session. So two sessions with about a week between. So we have yet to crunch the data. It's actually still coming in because the program just concluded, but really excited to be continuing to do more research on the process as well. And, and you said there's a control group as well? Yeah, so we're doing a delayed treatment control uh, with with this process as well. So what we do is basically we have the we have everyone as their own control group. So everyone in the, uh, uh, who's getting treatment takes the survey, waits two weeks, then takes the survey again. Then they get the core transformation session and then the second session, and then they take the post surveys. So okay. we're gonna connect, we're gonna see what's the difference um, in the, the first and second post surveys compared to the the second pre-survey where they 
hadn't gotten any intervention yet. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's funny, um, many years ago, uh, 20 some odd years ago, they were, uh, they were odd years, but nevertheless, um, <laughs> a while back, I was working in a hospital setting doing hypnosis, pre-surgical hypnosis, and we were attempting to f- find a way to do a control group um, to do like a, a, a double blind study, actually. Awesome. Yeah, it was fascinating because how how do you do fake hypnosis? You know, because the, we wanted to have people, you know, believe they were getting hypnosis, but not actually getting hypnosis. But of course, the <laughs> the belief that you're getting hypnosis is hypnosis. You know, really. So um, it was very difficult to come up with a way of doing yeah. a double blind study using hypnotherapy in a medical situation. Yeah. But um, the 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 research we did do showed a lot of efficacy in doing pre-surgical hypnosis. Their, their hospital stays were shorter. They used less medication, you know, lots of really great, you know, yeah. results from doing it. Nice. Yeah. I um, doubt it. So not, not possible with a double blind, but nevertheless. Yeah. Well, ours isn't double blind yet. That would be the next, uh, right. that would be the next stage to. to but the, the idea was like, you know, do people just get therapeutic value from talking to a nice person who's interested in what they right. say? And of course, yeah, the answer is probably, yeah. 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 I remember um, reading a Kaiser study where they, um, they just trained people in basic empathic listening. And I think they, they gave one group that for 30 minutes each week. And then the control group just didn't have anything. And the people who just had like 30 minutes of empathic listening uh, had their out- health outcomes increased by huge margins. Yeah, and so I, I, I'm I'm still wondering why. So why doesn't Kaiser offer this? Because that would really <laughs> <laughs> reduce their budget like yeah. hugely if they just gave you know your plan includes 30 minutes of empathic listening. Go get it every week. Um, they'd probably have to call it something different. You know, yeah, probably. Clinically proven <laughs> method to reduce your you know. Obesity be a thirty percent and this and that and whatever. It's the Kaiser method. The Kaiser method. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it does. I mean, it makes sense to me that 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 in itself is 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 already very useful. Yeah, yeah. But I will say the um, I've seen some remarkable changes happen with people that go through core transformation. It is a real thing. And um, when I was talking with your mother and she's talking about the wholeness process, it sounds absolutely fascinating. And having been somebody who's, you know, a part of my life at least, you know, is devoted to trying to find answers like that. It's it's really cool that she's applying her, you know, famous Andreas insight abilities to this this question of how how can you get to wholeness? How does one do that? How does how can one get to these spiritual levels without necessarily having to, you know, devote your life to meditating up in a monastery somewhere? Yeah, yeah, Pretty and cool. hoping, yes. <laughs> hoping for that moment hoping. of insight where where it all happens. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, totally. Well, gosh, Mark, this has been so so cool. So tell us one more time if we want to find you uh, the AndreasNLP.com. Yeah, so all of our trainings are whether video or live online, and hopefully in person soon, are AndreasNLP.com. And then my for my individual coaching website, that's markandreas.com. Okay. Um, and if somebody and I also wanted... have a blog there with, with stories of, of um, various uh, client examples. That at at markandreas.com? At markandreas.com, yeah. Cool. 
Nice. And is it possible for people to email you? Is it is it a yep. thing that can happen? Yeah, you can contact me through my website. Okay. Yeah. So, so just go to markandreas.com and there's a contact. Yeah, there's a contact form and then that'll give my email and we'll be in touch. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, I don't know if we've mentioned this to the audience listening at home, but this is our, our third interview. So, <laughs> <laughs> the first one that I think we've finally successfully recorded. Yes, um, yes. Well, it's a good thing. It's such a pleasure talking with you because it's been enjoyable every time. <laughs> And I'm sure there are some questions that I left out for that were, oh, if I'd only remembered to ask that question again, but it was just yeah. really great. And I really, well, appreciate. we can do it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this time, wait you know, a while. Everybody else can hear, the, hear it too. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I hope your, your new house works out real well. I appreciate that. Um, you're getting the internet you. cable to make sure we had that for this time. But yeah, yeah. congratulations. You just moved to a, a new residence, I'm understanding. I did, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Is this your first home that you've owned, you're owning yourself? It's my first. Um, I actually have a condo that I, as an investment, but it's my uh, first home that I've lived in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. That's exciting. Very exciting. Good. Yeah, thank you. Have you have a dishwasher? Dishwasher? We do, yeah. Wow. And it actually works. Well, that's amazing. We have one, but it doesn't work. I grew up with my entire life with one that didn't work and so did my wife. So it's like, she still washes everything like immaculately. So I always open the dishwasher. I have no idea if they're clean or not because. Yeah. So she's still learning that she can put them in dirty now, but. Yeah. That's a, that's a learning yeah. curve. Yeah. Yeah. But who will she be if she puts, puts them in dirty? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Identity thank you. level yeah. change there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, right. it's, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for being here. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.